Hi, this is Mike. And this is Matt, and you're listening to the Empty Spiral podcast, the official podcast of the Lacunical community. It's episode 121, and we're recording it today on the 9th of February 2017. 121 episodes, Mike. Where has the time gone? Isn't that crazy? Mm, it's Yeah, it's it's especially crazy when Facebook sends you those um, on this day reminders, and it, stuff flashes up, say, oh, it's been episode 20 or episode 50. And the weeks and months and years just seem to roll on by, don't they? Yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, I, I remember having this crazy idea of putting some interviews in a podcast format and sending them out. And I never really thought it would kind of go on for as long as it's gone on. I mean, we've had a few breaks here and there, but we're, we're still going. Yep, I'm glad we are. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't have Russ this week. He's not able to make us. But uh, Mike, how are you doing, Mr. Dyer? I'm good, thank you. Other than I've had the lurgy slightly, but I'm trying to shake that off. I think it's mainly working too many long hours, early starts and all that jazz and the weather. Can't decide what it's doing in this country, as you well know. Yeah, this morning it was kind of snowing for about 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. And it got quite mild, it's a bit bizarre. Yeah, how are you? Are you now, okay? Yeah, I'm, I've still got, last week I had that bit of a cold. I've still got it. Mm. A little bit phlegmy and all that. I'm um, not letting it slow me down. Um, so, yeah, generally doing okay. Um, feeling quite upbeat. Looking forward to the weekend and all of that. Uh, busy at work, as always. Mm-hmm. Um, still sitting there, feeling pressurised by Netflix and my growing stack of Blu-ray and DVDs. To watch the list. <laughs> watch something, but um, yeah, never yeah. seem to find the time to do it, so... Little disappointed in that, but I'll get around to it one day or, or take six months off and catch up or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, this week on the podcast, we thought we would have another interview for you. Um, this is one of the many interviews that we performed back in the uh, Lacuna Core Delirium tour back in November in the UK. But this one's a little bit different. So you've heard from Marco, you've heard from Didi, we've Still got interviews with Ryan and Andy and Christina, so we've got the band. But this week we thought we would do something a bit different. I mentioned last week about the the interviews we have with members of the crew of Lacuna Core. And if you cast your mind back a couple of years, you'll know that I interviewed Gus, the tour manager. Uh, well, this time we've got a rather special interview with Richard Wolfgang, who is the lighting engineer and tech for Lacuna Coil. And in this, what I find very interesting interview, we learn all about how he puts the show together, the technology involved. We get a bit geeky at one point. Uh, the the design, um, and it really kind of. I hope for you at least, you, you get a sense of there's a, a lot of work that goes into putting the show on. It's not just about the performers and the music. And B, hopefully, next time you see Lacuna Core Live, if you're lucky to get a chance to do that, that you'll have a look at the lights and, and maybe just kind of give the whole thing a some second thought because um as you can as you'll hear, there's quite a lot of effort goes into it and it's not something we should take for granted. So here we go. Uh, interview with Wolfie. Hope you enjoy it. to welcome Wolfie, who is the lighting designer for Lacuna Coil, on the podcast. Welcome, Wolfie. How are you? Oh, I'm not too bad. A bit tired. It's a 
We've been out and torn now for a little bit, so bus, bus flu is going round and we're all feeling a bit miserable, but... Well, we're in Newcastle, or sorry, um, Castle, sorry. New way, oh man, yeah. <laughs> so, how long have you been the lighting designer for Lacuna Park? Uh, I think I started with this band in 2005, Karma Code album. Wow, a long time, and, uh, 11 years. Yeah, so 11 years. I think the first show I did for them was, they were out supporting In Flames at Hammersmith as a one-off show. I think that, I think that was the first show I ever did for them, wow. and that's where I met them. How did you become the like, you know, what happened? Is there a story there? Um, I was out with, I was Dimmu Borgir's lighting designer for one, for a while, and they were managed by Direct Promotions who were in Germany, who were also at the time managing Lacuna Coil, um, and their sort of group production manager needed somebody to light Lacuna Coil, who were doing this big show, so he, gave me a call and I, I ended up doing it and uh, obviously there was the chemistry worked and we've uh, remained together for the last 11 years and have you enjoyed your time with the grand band yeah I mean they, they are one of the nicest bands you could possibly wish to work for they're actually nice people as well which is kind of important when you live on a bus with people they, they become like family after a while yeah. Um, yeah. I have worked for other artists who shall remain nameless. Well, I was about uh, to ask you. Well, <laughs> ask you've worked with. Come on, you've got, you got to reveal at least a few. Oh, well, I mean, other artists I've worked with would be Craig LaFilth, Dimmerborgia, Venom, Trivium, Napalm Death, Orange Goblin, Anathema, Tiamat. There's wow. quite, so quite a list of. A collection of well known names there. Miserable metal bands, I suppose, <laughs> and of course the Mighty Thunder. Well, yeah, we talked about the Mighty Thunder. I'm sure we'll I, I have a very soft spot for. <laughs> so, okay, let's, let's just rewind time a little bit. How did you come to be a lighting designer? How does that work? Um, I always wanted to be. I wanted to get into doing West End musicals lighting design when I was at school and I filled in one of these stupid Morrisby test things which told me I should be a marine biologist right. which I thought was quite entertaining given that I was really bad at biology and I hated water <laughs> so uh, I didn't pay too much attention for that um, the school I was at were a bit snotty about doing things in the arts they, they didn't really see that as a proper job um, so they were sort of oh no you've got to go and do electrical engineering or something like that um, but I'd spent a lot of my time working for the local theatre in Seven Oaks, where I grew up, um, and I learnt lighting there. And when I went into Derby University, I joined the University Musical Production Society. Oh, very good. And I was going to do lights for them. Um, and I went into the university hall, and there was this knackered old lighting rig that <laughs> should have been condemned like 50 years earlier. And we realised we hadn't got any. But there was a chap on the course there who owned a lighting rig. And uh, in fact, at the time, he was Venom's lighting designer. And they'd just lost a tour and he'd bought all his kit. So he needed to make some money. So we rented it off him. Anyway, we got on quite well. And uh, he ended up taking me out as his assistant when I finished my university course. And uh, I've been doing it ever since. It's not quite where I thought I'd end up, but that's where I have ended up. <laughs> What was the technology like back then? And obviously these things evolved quite quickly, obviously. Um, in those days, we were, we were st everything was analogue still, which was kind of cool, because if something went wrong, you just got a soldering iron out and fixed it. But that did mean that the control cables between front of house where we operate lights from and the stage were masses and masses of cables, whereas now we can run a Cat5 cable to, from front of house to stage, and I can run 
hundreds and hundreds of different channels down it, and it's just one very thin cable. So I guess it's all controlled by computer. Then, it, yeah, we are computerised. I mean, the desk I use is now Linux based. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. and You're already appealing to the geek inside me. Great. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody wants Windows, do they? <laughs> Let's be Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Blue screen of death halfway through the show. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, so okay, so. Just for the record, because I know not everybody's sure of the various different terms, the front of house is the area that's not actually at the, the front of the stage, it's further back, isn't it? It is, yeah. It, it's the bit, I mean, in arena tours, it's sort of in the middle of the auditorium, mm. and uh, in smaller sort of club gigs, it's quite often at the back, or like today, we're almost behind the bar. Uh, <laughs> it can be very cramped, but that's where sound is operated from and lights is operated from. Right, okay. So... If you've ever been to a show and you see a couple of guys looking very intently at a series of boards of lights, then you'll know that's, that's the front of house. Indeed, yes. So it's evolved over time. So you are a lighted designer. So take me through the design process then. Let's look at the most recent tour, which is obviously, you know, it's including songs off McCunicore's latest album, Delirium. Take me through that process. How do you design those lights? What does that mean? Um, the f- the lighting design and the stage set design goes a little bit hand in hand um, and they are dependent on each other to a certain extent. Um, so the band came to me with a concept for what they wanted the stage to look like in terms of the uh, sanatorium and the sort of fences and and then we kick back and forth a few ideas until we come up with a stage design that's going to work. Um, and then I work out how best to light the stage so that we make the most of the bits of the stage set that are there. And then each individual song is designed separately. So Marco will generally send me a set list of the songs that they think they're gonna play on the tour. And I will listen to each song, break it down into all the different parts, which, there's usually, I don't know, 15 to 20 parts in a song. So there'll be choruses and bridges and little fills and solos. And once I've done that, I'll work out... If you've ever seen The Sorcerer's Apprentice, where the music is described by cartoons... Yes. Fantasia. Fan, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Lights are supposed to describe the music. Gotcha. Okay. Um... So you work out what each bit of music's doing, the light and the shade, and whether it's a build or a, a sort of whether it goes quiet or down drops down to a break, and you work out what would look right for that bit of music. So if there's suddenly a drop, it's probably going to go quite dark, with maybe some little floaty white bits in it, and uh, ready the to. Technical term is floaty white. Absolutely, <laughs> nothing, nothing I do is particularly technical, is it? <laughs> and um. And then as it builds, maybe lights will start panning upwards or will get brighter or instead of being broken up beams, there'll be solid beams. It, it just depends how fast the build in the music is uh, or how many different builds will follow each other. Sure, sure. Um, and I'll work out all the timings. So if, if Christina's going to hold a note for quite a few seconds or there's a chorus that rises for a few seconds then I'll time that and then that'll be all the lights maybe pointing at Christina to all the lights pointing at the roof and that will have to be it they will move from one to the other in that mm. time 
I suppose once that's done, the next is visualising and programming. Uh, I use some powerful computer software called Light Converse, right. which I can draw the whole stage set on, hang all the lights on, and basically see the stage as we will see it in shows. Oh, wow. okay. Plug the lighting desk into that software via a USB interface, mm. and then actually as I turn lights on and off on the lighting desk, they will appear on the computer monitor right. so I can see what's happening and see, make sure it does work. And so it's like a virtual rehearsal? It, it is indeed a virtual rehearsal. Wow. Okay. Um, and I will program every light that I think we might encounter on the tour mm -hmm. because obviously playing club venues, there's going to be a different lighting rig every day. Um, some will have LED fixtures, some will have generic fixtures, some will have moving fixtures, some will have static fixtures. So all of that has to be incorporated in the original programming, otherwise I would be spending hours and hours programming every day. Because mm. typically a show like Lacuna Calls probably takes about two weeks to program. Okay, there's, right. there's over two, over a thousand cues in a, in a standard show. Mm. And the, each one of those has to be programmed into a desk and you can't really do that in two hours between loading and doors. So you've got all that stuff, it's prepared on your your computer, okay. You come to the show and part of the the loadout and the prep for the show includes getting all the lighting rigs connected up, is that right? Yes. Okay, so take us through that, how does that? So when we load in the morning we're obviously travelling with what we call a floor package. Right, okay. Um, if it was a bigger... Like the basics. Of yeah, the basics that will all sit on the floor, even though some of them will be on wind-up tripods. It's still called a floor package because right. it's not involving hanging things out of the roof. Um, so before the tour's made, there will be cabling looms made to connect them all. So when you see a, a piece of metalwork going across the back of the stage with eight lights on it, there will be... It's like scaffolding. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There will be um, a, a cabling set that connects all the data and the power which is running all those lights. This? Okay. That's oh, right, guys. Right, heavy. Thank you. Yeah, it is. Um, so they will go in each day, the local crew will help us, it'll all come out of the band's trailer, we'll hang it all up, connect it up, make sure it works. And then my next job is to take all the house lighting, tell the lighting desk that we're touring what the house has got, um, and put that into the appropriate place and use what we call DMX protocol, which is a digital, it's like MIDI, yep. in fact, um, which allows the lighting desk to communicate with the house systems, and we set all the addresses for that. And then I'll update the pallets. Now, the show is built of pallets. There are colour pallets, yeah. okay. there are beam-shaped pallets, and there are position pallets. Okay. So colours will be, for example, white, red, orange, green, blue, each of those. Sure. And then the beam shapes, there'll be no strobe, fast strobe, open beam, broken up beam, spinning beams. And then the positions will be Marco, Christina, Andrea, Diego, centre riser, drum kit, back cages, front of house look, monitors look, crossed look, uncrossed look, and, and so on. And I update all of those, and then if you're familiar with relational databases, which I'm sure you are. Which I am, yes. yes. I'm not sure our listeners will be. But no. Um, so when I pull up a queue, 
which yep. would be like Christina sings, yep. then it will reference back to the palettes. Mm -hmm. So maybe heads one and four will say we're looking at the white palette, so we'll go white yep. with an open gobo, so it'll just be a, a perfect circle, uh, and they will point at Christina. So those are the three palettes it's referenced. So all the way through the show, any time it says point at Christina, it'll go, all oh, right, this is the Christina palette. Gotcha. And that's what we set up. So typically programming on, on the day takes about 45 minutes at the most. And a lot of that's done now remotely with my telephone and a Wi-Fi link to the desk. So you're in the pub or something? Well, yeah. no, I'm stood on stage where they would be stood and I can see my shadow. Right, OK. <laughs> Sorry, I was... But, yeah, that would be very useful. And in the days when I used to smoke, it was great because you could wait till the acoustic bit of the set and then go and hide in the smoking shelter in the uh, Swedish gigs and still run the show. Very good. <laughs> OK, so we've got an hour and a half show with, you said, over a thousand different cues and you've got to take all the, the floor kit out, put that in place, connect up your computers to the to the house system, um, program it. So that end-to-end -end process for what is 90 minutes of Lacuna Coil, how long does it take? Um, on the day, two hours to okay. put, it, put it in, set it up, program it, and then probably another 45 minutes to an hour to take it all out again, pack it up and put it in the trailer. All of this stuff is, you know, this is just, I mean, so just, it is the lighting, it's also the sound stuff, which we'll yep. hopefully get a chance to, to jab out at some stage, but if you've got the lighting, and it's taking three and a half, four hours to get all that together yeah. for the show, okay, wow. Okay, so let's let's talk about during the show itself, so you talked about computers, you talked about programming, but you can't just walk away from it, and, and you've got to do stuff, like I see you, like you're playing a piano when you're in the show, so what's happening there? Right, I, I run the show very much as a hybrid show. Old rock and roll shows, when you press a button, say all the red lights would come on, press another button, all the blue lights come on, another button, white. Um, in a theatre, you have a series of cues, mm. one after the other, which is all pre-programmed, and somebody just presses a go button each time there's a cue. Yeah. So the way I run the Kuna Coil is a hybrid between the two. So we have a cue stack, which accesses the palette information so that the lights will move to the right position at the right time, they will go to the right colour, and they will go to the right beam shape. The actual physically turning the lights on and off, I have as buttons. So in order to keep it absolutely in time with the music, you press buttons in time with the music. And the way I set the console up for anybody who's particularly geeky and knows anything about lighting is I will have wash group A, wash group B, spot group A, spot group B, spot shutter chase, which is turning the spots on one after the other, and that happens either very slowly or very quickly, depending on whether you're in Q1 or Q2. There's a fast one and a slow one. Um, strobes, which are every metal gig needs. Of course. Um, we have what are called ACLs, when I get what I want at gigs, so there'll be two buttons of those. Mm -hmm. Those are the big white four-way fans of light that you often see. Mole mm -hmm. phase, which are the audience blinders, yeah, we love those. which we love them, light up the crowd. Yep. Um, and then the cue stacks, and there's ten buttons, and uh, I have ten fingers. So that works quite well for me. Mm. So you're standing there like a pianist? Yes. Basically. So, okay, 
that must mean that you have to know those songs yes. almost as well as the band do then so you're ready yeah, to yeah you have to learn them inside out know where every rack fill is where every bass solo is obviously my screen gives me some clues because as I hit the go on the next cue stack it will say Christina sings or instrumental break or guitar solo or drum fill so that gives me some idea but I do have to know when it's going to come so that I can hit the button at the right time okay so you're like the sort of sixth member of the band really playing your own musical instrument in front of the house making all this lighting work really I suppose so. I mean, some of the old lighting desks were even set up as old world to organs and things. So, so, so you really could play along. <laughs> so, okay, you you know the songs, you have to play them, you've programmed all the lighting. Um, looking at the, the most recent tour then, what are your favourite ones to play? Zombies, House of Shame, um really like those oh, and I love Die and Rise as well I miss Fragments of Faith from previous tours that was that was always one of my favourites what, what made Fragments of Faith of it was just it was such a nice 4-4 four, four, straightforward head nodding mm. easy beat and it kind of built as it went along um, but then I like some of the new stuff like The House of Shame but there's a lot of strobes in that so it's I think this album the band have moved more in sort of just slightly harder metal than they were in, which has given me a chance to do a slightly different design, in a way. But then we've got um, Downfall, yep. which is a really lovely slow song, which is nice. Um, if, I don't know if you remember Wide Awake. I remember Wide Awake. I yeah. mean, that was a nice one to program yeah. as well. So Christina with the mic stand. Absolutely. And, yeah. you, you get a chance to do pretty yes. for things like that which uh, you don't always get in rock and roll and metal. And the show has become quite theatrical in this particular tour run. We've got, you know, we, we, we've got the, the seating down, the sit-down yeah. part, we've got the, the, the changes, we've got the guys behind in, in the cages yeah. for the different parts of it. So it's it's definitely becoming a, a more theatrical pre presentation of the music. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of conversations between myself and Goss and Dave and the band about choreography as to where they might stand for certain bits of the show. I mean, it's lovely now we've got Diego, who's he's less shy on stage than, say, Mouse was. Mm. So he's quite happy to stand on a riser in the middle of the stage like and, give it, some, and yeah. give it some for his guitar solos. And, of course that means you can and as a lighting designer, that's brilliant. Yeah. Whereas if you've got an artist and you try and light and they run away from the light, it's uh, slightly depressing. <laughs> What, what would you say if I if I was to take the view? And I think we kind of talked about this in the past. That lighting is a bit of an, an unsung part of a live event, isn't it? You don't. It can accentuate and it can add presence to a performance, but it's something that I think a lot of audiences don't necessarily see. They just presume will be there, and they only really notice it if it, if it doesn't work. Yes, what, what are your I, thoughts? I think there's a lot of truth in that, and I I think there's also a great dis difference between where you stand in the venue as to how you perceive the show because if you're stood at the barrier you're not actually going to see the light show mm. uh, you will only see the band um, in, in fact that's like band members themselves they never get to see their show mm. 
because when you're stood under the lights, you it's don't see any of the effects. All you feel is the heat and the shade, yes. the colour on your skin. And that's Whereas it. when you come back to sort of front of house where we are, or you're sat up on a balcony in a, in a bigger show, or you're in an arena, you, you see far more the patterns and shapes and the whole picture. But that's like if you go to the cinema and you sit in the front row versus sitting in the back row. See the whole exactly. Which so, is, if I ever go to a concert, I will always see it as close to centre as possible, and as far back as possible. So there is something to be said because you know, every, in a concert venue, everybody's rushing to get right at the front and yep. squeezing up, getting on the barrier and stuff. And it's actually there's a there's a lot to be said for standing back and seeing the spectacle. Yeah, you you miss a lot by being at the front, but then you're up close and personal to the artist if that's what you want to get out of the show. I think different people will take different things away from the show, and that's a good thing. So, okay, what would your advice be to someone who wants to become a light, light designer? What would you say? First of all, I think being a musician helps. Okay. Um, are you a musician, Wolfie? Sorry, uh, really yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm a pianist and an organist. Excellent. Um, I, I think if you have no understanding of the structure of music or rhythm, you you will struggle to be a lighting designer, certainly in the music business. Um, having an eye for colour, what colours work together, I mean if you put red and green up together you just get brown. Yeah. Things like that, it's, it, it's knowing what's going to look right and having an imagination I suppose. I don't think you can be taught to be a lighting designer. Okay. I mean, there's lots of university courses out there, but I think I certainly go with the uh, philosophy that a lot of my colleagues do, that, to be honest, if you come to us and say, I've got a degree in stage lighting, you're probably not going to be a lot of use. Really? Okay. It's much more of an intuitive thing. It is, and a lot of the things about touring are the on-the-road skills of whether you can fix broken cables when there's no light and the strobe's going, a band's playing at top volume and can you concentrate and can you fault find mm. quickly. There's a, there's a lot of what I call University of Life there. There is. Yeah. And that's, I, I think, most of it. I mean, the best way to start, I suppose, is go and be local crew mm. in, a, in a venue. Push boxes to start with. Yeah. If, if you really want to get into the lighting side of it, you can go and become an apprentice in some of the big lighting companies. Mm -hmm. There's white light down in London, I'm sure, would uh, be pleased to hear from you, Stage Electrics, any of these the companies that send out tours. Go and be a dimmer tech and coil cables and things, but maybe you'll work your way up if, if somebody sees that, that little spark that you could be a designer. All right, so changing tack for, I think we're coming towards the end of our interview now. You talked to all these years of being life on the road with various different bands including looking at for quite some time what's it like being on tour for all this time I mean I know people kind of talk about the glamour of going to all these places all over the world but what's it really like being on a tour bus all this time um, I suppose it's a bit like being in a submarine um, you've got 16 stinking farting characters who've probably had a big night out on the beer maybe a, a few curries in there if they've been to Birmingham the night before <laughs> which, which could make the uh, the bus slightly less than pleasant yeah. um, not having a toilet that you can use on the bus in terms of number twos can be quite frustrating when you have to go to the bus driver please can we stop at some services yeah. um, waking up in German car parks in the 
peeing rain and cold and going, I really want some breakfast and there's nothing around you, it's quite miserable. On the plus side, I have been around the world and I've, I've seen some really cool stuff, but uh, it's certainly not as glamorous. In fact, on Facebook, I've seen some of these wonderful uh, little cartoons of what people think goes on on the road, and it's like drugs and whores and all the rest of it backstage. <laughs> what actually goes on on the road? And there's a bandle sat there holding their smartphones, texting and uh, updating their social media. Which, and I can be absolutely testi uh, testify that is exactly what happens, yeah. yeah. So there, there isn't much glamour really on the road. <laughs> but you can have a great time. I mean, I've met some lovely people who have become very close friends over the years. Final question. Any stories that you're prepared to share or is it very much what goes on tour stays on tour? It's definitely what goes on tour stays on tour, I think. <laughs> Okay. Well, Wolfie, thank you very much for joining no us. No problem, Matt. It's been a great talking to you. Yeah, can we go uh, to the pub now? We can go to the pub. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Fantastic. <laughs> thank you again to Wolfie for joining us on the podcast. As I said before, I found the interview absolutely fascinating. Really different take on what goes on um, to you know every day as the band are on tour. And uh, hopefully it might inspire some people to become a, a, a lighting engineer, lighting designer, um, as he puts it. Um, and equally, I hope people uh, look at the, the show in a slightly different way next time they see the band live. So thank you again, Wolfie. Okay, so we come to our review this week on the podcast and we are working our way through Delirium and we've come to song number six on the album, Take Me Home. All right, well, I know I did last week's, so Mike, I think you need to start mm -hmm. this week. Take Indeed. What do you think of it? T Take Me Home is, to me, one of these songs that is very unique, that it's very different, different in that you've got songs that we've previously had with videos like I Like It is memorable for being different. Mm -hmm. I, I think this, like Naughty Christmas as well, that came out, that is very different and unique. And I think this goes in that territory. It's not your tra uh, traditional lacunical style song with the way that it is set out, I think. And it's different on the album, saying different a lot here. Um, but it works very well. You've got the opening with the lullaby-type um, melody that starts off very childlike, which almost reminds me of Survive from Shallow Life. Mm -hmm. It's got the same ilk as that. Um, musically, it's quite hard-hitting throughout. You've got lots of bass through there, guitars, strings. It works all right. People might say, looking at it lyrically, it's a bit repetitive going pedestrianised through the song, but I think that doesn't detract from, from the overall uh, finished article. Lyrically, it's okay. I think Take Me Home has the emphasis on your journey from whatever stressful situation you could possibly be in, and it's taking you 
to the safety of your own environment away from the stresses, trials and tribulations of everything else thrown in it oh, of whatever scenario. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's my uh, two cents. <laughs> There's a two cents on Take Me Home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is an interesting song. I mean, when I first um, heard the song and reviewed it, when I did the Delirium review, it, it was very much one of those songs that was quite creepy because of that opening childlike yeah. chorus. Uh, it's become a bit kind of a, a cliche in horror that you get that kind of sound. And and that, that opening, is, I found really creepy when I first heard it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not in tune in places. Um, it does immediately gives me a sense of kind of a basically a crazy person sort of insanity or or something mm. like that like someone's acting in a kind of out of control childlike state that, that's how i always interpreted the song as a consequence of the opening kids choir uh, actually i i thought when i first heard this that is that christina because uh-huh. it uh, and i and it, i thought it was christina you know a couple of times mixed in sort of thing because it, it could easily be the sound she makes when she's putting on a kiddie voice i could easily make yeah, her yeah. doing that and I, I do wonder if there's a part of that in there but i do remember them also saying that they they work with a kid's choir to do it mm-hmm. so if she's in there she's part of the kid's choir shall we say yeah blended um, in yeah just blended in and it, and it, it does come across um quite weird i think the band had a lot of fun with this song you know much like closer um you know those kind of songs it, it, they they took a slightly different approach to this song than maybe than they did to the rest of the album it's definitely got a lighter sound and um, you picked up on the the i say pedestrian nature it is quite slow in places and quite repetitive i think that mm-hmm. works it it's definitely telling a story or at least using the music to evoke a certain style and i think that comes across really well i find it a little bit I guess more of a rock song than a metal song. And yeah, in, that, yeah. in that respect, it kind of reminds me more of the kind of sound that we might have had on Shallow Life and might have subsequently had on Dark Adrenaline. And it, it seems to bridge those two albums mm-hmm. as a song in style. I mean, it's still heavy in places. A little creepy, as I said, crazy mental trip, slow in places, but it seems to work very well. I, I, I like the way the song is constructed. I like the, the, the bridge and then the reprise. I like the, the way it, it um, opens up with the, the kids' chorus. I mean, I like it. It's a good song. I was listening to it quite a few times today uh, in preparation for the review. And it, it it's one of those songs that I like the first time I listened to it. And my view of it hasn't changed. Um, I th- I think the Andy does a really good job in this song because it, it doesn't yeah, clean yeah. vocals a lot through the album. And this one is probably where he does, if not the most, but certainly for me, one of the more memorable clean vocal performances that he has and i think he really covers it well i like the way he talks about you know, um sick of everything but i still fight i don't give up where i stand in life there is nothing left on the other side i save save myself giving up on the lies i like that line i think that works as a as a as a verse um christina does a great job on the chorus and it is a bit crazy and a bit twisted sounding and i i definitely get a sense that this is someone going through some crazy time again re- re- reflecting on the the overall theme of the album itself it's a good song i do like it uh i don't think it's the best song on the album but i certainly think it's a it's it's up there as one of their most one of their most memorable songs and as you say it's a little different what are you gonna you do think it worked live 
Ah, yeah, that's a good question. Do I think it will work live? Yes, but it needs to be a bit of a stage performance. And I think they've done this really well on yeah, the yeah. last tour. And the costumes and the... Especially with Christina, you can always tell she's really enjoying that kind of looking a bit crazy. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing where she's got the sort of the smeared makeup and she comes out, especially when she's singing Delirium, I think it is. It's that kind of yeah, yeah. comes out and she's almost staggering around like she's a drunken. She's done it before on stage, but it, it's mm-hmm. a really effective performance when she's doing that. She's kind of grasping her head and almost wrenching at her hair. And I've got some photos yeah, yeah. of her looking absolutely crazy. You know, it looks like she should mm-hmm. be in Suicide Squad or something <laughs> rather than the Kuna Girl. And I think if you did that here, it would really, it, as in, we did that with this song live, I think it would really work. You could even take the child's chorus to another level and maybe distort it. Yeah, yeah. It'd be very think, creepy. Yeah, really kind of creepy. I think it would work as one of those songs that maybe they come back after the intro, after the intro, after the encore. Yeah. Something. So it'll yeah, go away yeah, and then yeah. you start getting the, the the, a twisted, distorted version of the the kids singing, and then they come. Which video would work, wouldn't it? Yeah, well? yeah, totally. Again, I think it would need to be quite a dark video, um, black and wide, almost. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, it's all very. Uh, I won't say gothic sounded, but you could almost do a kind of a nineteen nineties sort of supernatural f- horror flick kind of style. Yeah, yeah, video. exactly. I think that would really, really work, especially if you then kind of made it in a lunatic asylum or something like that so you had someone kind of losing their mind and seeing flashing images of kids singing i don't know for me this evokes a a very distinct style um and i find it quite an imaginative song so it it works works. definitely yeah so uh, what are you going to give it in terms of numbers mike I will say seven and a half. I think it, it works well, but it doesn't pack the same punch as the rest. But that's not to say it's a bad song. It's just a different song. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, I, I got a lot of love for this song. I, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I think it really works. Uh-huh. Uh, really got a lot of time for it. Really enjoy it. Would like to see it live. Would like to see it live with a performance. Though, because if yeah. it feels like... Um, much like... You, uh, oh gosh, what other songs could kind of give that performance feel again? I guess you love me because I hate you, which they already do that, uh-huh. um, which will be obviously be will be reviewing um, next time we do the podcast. But that one's definitely got a kind of theatrical um, element to it, and I think this one has too. But there we go. So take me home. Bit creepy. Um, definitely has potential for video, and we'd like to hear it live. Well, I think that brings us to a close this week on the podcast. We're missing Russ, but hopefully he will be available to join us next time we uh, record a cast. Uh, as a reminder, we're not, I've sort of said this for a while, but we're always looking for new people to join us on the podcast, fellow coilers from anywhere in the world. So if you want to come along and uh, have a chat with us, join us for a review or just generally hang out, then we're always happy to hear from you. Uh, post something on the empty spiral facebook page or send us a, a private message on our twitter feed or post on the empty spiral website in all the different places uh, or even just send an email to podcast empty there's really no excuses there's lots of ways to contact us uh, of course if you want to generally hang out with us guys then empty spiral.net www.emptyspiral.net is our official website and uh, you can 
see all kinds of news, reviews, interviews, as well as join the forums there. And we look forward to hanging out with you. Uh, if you're more of a social media junkie, then of course, there's no excuses not to join us on the Empty Spiral Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash empty spiral.net. Uh, if you like your social media in chunks of 140 characters or less, then we're also, of course, on twitter.com which is at empty spiral net and uh, feel free to post your pictures, send us messages and generally chill out with us there as well. Uh, we also have a Google plus page, but I can never really have the patience to tell you what the URL for that is. So just uh, search for empty spiral uh, on Google plus and you'll be sure to find us. Um, so really no excuses. We're out there on the internet folks. Uh, and we look forward to hanging out with, with fellow callers. So there we go. Um, what am I doing this week? I'm probably going to be working a lot. I'm I'm definitely going to be listening to more Delirium. I listened to it really loud in the car today. I think I might have <laughs> almost burst my eardrums. It was so loud. It was great fun. I might have to go back and do that with the other albums and watch the other drivers on the road go, what the hell is that guy all about? But uh, there we go. So <laughs> as I say every week, um, I hope you join us next time on the Empty Spiral podcast. But more importantly, make sure you listen to more Lacuna Coil. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, everyone.